If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 and page 977 in the Church Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 to 13 as uh, David continues to preach this series in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, Paul speaking, and he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the time that David has spent in preparation this week and for the help of your Holy Spirit as he did that. And we look to you now, Heavenly Father, to bless us through the foolishness of preaching. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we trust you and trust your word, it isn't actually foolishness, it is great wisdom. We thank you, Heavenly Father, uh, that uh, you have this granted this mean to all mankind, and you've asked us to share in your mission of teaching and preaching to the ends of the earth and to the ends of the ages. We pray for the Sunday school right now and for the teachers as they lead the children in Bible knowledge. We pray that you would bless the children, that they wouldn't just have head knowledge, but they would come to personally know Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Saviour. And we pray you'd help us right now to listen to your word preached, to take it to heart, to put it into action. And if we don't know you and trust you as our Lord and Saviour, to do that today. For today is the day of salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are returning to this paragraph in which Paul is sharing with us something of himself. We are deliberately taking our time through this paragraph. We're really chewing it over to get all the juices out of it so that we really benefit from every, every word that is God-inspired, that is God-breathed out through the apostle. Uh, we're going to go through this, uh, taking our time to understand what Paul means by certain phrases that he deliberately uses. He's already told us in verses 1 to 6 how he viewed himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ and that he had received a revelation of a mystery from God, namely that in this new international community of God's people, 
the church of believing Jews and Gentiles. We are one in Jesus Christ. Both of us are truly and fully equal beneficiaries of God's grace. You see there in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We've also looked at Paul's calling into the ministry in verse 7, how God had made this man a minister, or we saw there the word is diakonos. He's a servant of the gospel, a servant according to the gift of God's grace given to him. And so we, we talked about that and, and how we too, as believers, if you are a believer, as believers, we have been made servants. We have all been made ministers. It's not just me, please. We've all been made ministers of this gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so we work that out in all our relationships here. I hope as we eat our baked potatoes and our whatever it is that's going to come out later on, I hope we're ministering to each other. I hope that. I hope we're talking to each other and listening to one another and ministering the gospel here in this community of the gospel. We looked at this first aspect of this gifted ministry of Paul's. He says in verse 8, To me this grace was given to preach, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Peter was sent to the Jews. That, were his, that group of people were his specific target. He was to go to them and to tell them about Jesus Christ. Paul was primarily sent to Gentiles, not exclusively if you read through Acts, but primarily to Gentiles. God had called him, God had gifted him, God had sent him to them to tell them about Jesus and how through Jesus Christ Remember, they would have believed all they, everything under the sun they would have believed. But Paul is to go and tell them it's in Jesus that we find free salvation, not earned salvation. That's what the world offers. But in Jesus Christ, there is free salvation. And we, who, who doesn't love the word free? There is free salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That whatever it was they were trusting in before, whether it was in themselves or in some lifeless false God. We heard earlier from Acts 17 how Paul is in the Areopagus speaking to uh, people from Athens. And they were so religious, he tells them, they even had an altar to the unknown God. Just to be sure they covered everything under the sun. Paul's message was, look, in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, him exclusively can they find life in all its fullness. Can they find God in all his mercy and love and grace. Hence the unsearchable, the inexhaustible, the unfathomable riches of Christ. We're coming back again to this theme of Paul's ministry of, of him revealing this good news to other people, a revelation for everyone, verse 9, and a revelation to the spiritual realm, verse 10. First of all, 
the Apostle Paul had been gifted by God, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So as well as pointing people to the Lord Jesus for salvation, Paul was also showing people the plan of God. The plan of God. What does that mean? Well, the term bring to light, it is not the same as preaching. You see there in verse 8. Rather, we have to go back to chapter 1. It's a word that's used back there in verse 18. Paul was praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. It's a word that means flooded with light. You walk into a dark room and you enlighten the room. You switch the light and the room is flooded with light so you can see everything. That's what Paul was praying for these Christians, that God would, as it were, turn up the dimmer switch and reveal more to them of the hope to which God had called them and the riches of God's glorious inheritance and so on and so forth. Paul uses that same word here in chapter 3. He wants to bring to light or to enlighten everyone as to how this hidden mystery, this hidden plan of God was now being worked out in the church. In a sense, Paul wanted to reveal to everyone the history of redemption, the unfolding plan of God's salvation. In other words, everything he's been writing about so far, telling people about their election, grounding their faith in eternity, not in the last five minutes when they came to faith, but grounding it in the will of God, how God had predestined them to believe, and then how God sent His Son to redeem them, and so on and so forth. But as verse 11 describes it, these eternal purposes of God have now been realized. They've now been accomplished in the Lord Jesus. That the God of creation, the maker of all things, the maker of the heavens and of the earth and all that is in them, God's secret eternal plan was to recreate, to save sinners. And Paul had been gifted and sent to tell everyone about this. Well, why? Well, we know that it's through the preaching of this good news that sinners hear the way of salvation and by God's grace can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us faith comes not by coming to church. Faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So important. Even within Christianity, you see, we can bring the world's thinking into Christianity. Well, I only have to come to a place on a Sunday morning and I'll be saved. Maybe that's what you're thinking this morning. That's why I'm here. I'm here to be saved just by being here. And I need to tell you, friend, that's not God's plan. That's not his way of salvation. His plan is that you hear the good news of Jesus Christ and then you believe on that good news. You, you trust in the person of that good news for you 
to be saved. What that looks like, we see it often worked out in the Acts of the Apostles. For example, in Acts 18, uh, Paul is preaching this word of Christ in Corinth. And you read in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. There's a pattern, you see. There's a, there's a journey to faith. You meet someone who knows it. It doesn't come out of thin air. It doesn't just turn up at your doorstep. Maybe it does through a tract. But somebody brought it to you. You meet someone who knows about this good news. You listen to them. You believe them. And you're saved, and then you're baptized, and so on and so forth. Friends, this should be the burden of every believer, whichever way God has gifted us to serve in the church, that as well as us showing love to others in what we do for them, there must come this point when those we do things for, those we pray for that they would be saved, there must come a point where we actually tell them how it is they can be saved. They must hear the message of Christ and Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead three days later. It's through that foolish message that they might believe then and be saved. So this message of Christ, this mystery now revealed really is for everyone. This is the plan of God, you see. To, to extend this invitation of Jesus to the whole world. That through people from all the nations of the world, regardless of their age or their background or their color, but whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Secondly, though, there is another purpose for Paul's preaching of telling everyone God's plan of salvation. You see it in verse 10. And his audience is not human. His audience is spiritual, angels and demons. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, us, right? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the spiritual world. So Paul's perspective on his ministry, on his service in the church has broadened. First and foremost, it's to humans. God is not planning to save fallen angels. We read of that in Hebrews 2 verse 16. But Paul's ministry and our church ministry does affect angels. Now, what do I mean by that? We have to be very careful here because what Paul really means is something beyond us. We only have one verse. <laughs> and new cults have been formed on one verse. So we must be very careful we don't speculate for 20 minutes. But we are here reminded that every local church is being watched. The church of Jesus Christ is obviously being watched by the world. We know, don't we, that our neighbors see us get into the car at 10 o'clock or whatever and head off. 
where our colleagues at work know what we're up to on a Sunday. Maybe our friends at school, when they ask you how was, how was the weekend, they, they expect you to say, well, I went to church on Sunday. The world is watching. They take some level of notice as to what we're about. But the church is also being watched by the unseen world. The unseen rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm. We can't see them, but they can see us. They are watching us right now. That's something of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. There he talks of leadership in the church and why a woman's head was to be covered as she worshipped. Verse 7 tells us, A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Man was not made for from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why, he writes, a, man, a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. That little phrase is interesting. Because of the angels. Why the angels? Well, because they recognize their order, their role in God's creation. Paul has just been talking about the order within uh, a husband and wife. He's just been talking about the headship of the man and, and the woman and so forth and, and how they operate together here. And so he says, because of the angels, they realize where and why God has placed them in his creation order. So angels are watching. Paul says angels are watching the worshiping church. They're looking to see how redeemed men and women, even in how they dress, but how they display their different roles and position according to creation. They are here with us now. They are in this room with us, watching us. They're watching and they're learning about God from what they see, from what they see and from what is being revealed to them in this new community of God's people, this new international community of God's people. But the spiritual world is realizing, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God. Now, back in chapter 1, Paul talked there about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. In chapter 2, he talked about the immeasurable riches of God's grace. And now he's talking about the manifold wisdom of God. Before we look at that wisdom, let's not miss here how highly the apostle viewed God's glory. The immeasurability of it. It's something quite wonderful. It's quite exciting about knowing someone and spending your life discovering more and more about them. I guess that's one aspect of what marriage is about. Two people come together and they spend the rest of their lives discovering more and more. I mean, I'm still discovering more to my wife's embarrassment about her. And she says, don't you know I don't like rice pudding or whatever it is? 
you know, I'm still learning more. But that's part of the excitement, that's part of the journey, part of the adventure of marriage. Growing together, growing in knowledge of one another, growing in love for one another. There's something very, very precious about being in such a relationship. How much more then for a believer to grow in Christ? How much more wonderful for someone who has been brought to faith in Jesus, who has entered into this living relationship with God, to go on and realize more and more of this, this immeasurable glory of God? Is is that what you want? Is it? Just a check here, just as I go through my notes, just to pause and say, is that what you want? You who have come to faith in Jesus, don't you want to know more of Jesus? That's why we come here. That's why I take my time, two verses at a time, so that we might grasp more of this Jesus and his love for you, his will, his plan for you. So what does Paul mean by this manifold wisdom of God? Well, let's, let's begin with wisdom, okay? What is God doing that allows angels to see his wisdom? Let me take you back to chapter 1 again, such an important chapter to this letter. In verse 8, first of all, verse 7, in him in Christ, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in on earth. Now surely we can see there the wisdom of God. We see first of all his wisdom in creation. That's why on the Lord's Day, on, the, on, on what we call sometimes the Christian Sabbath, we remember our creator. It's important we, we do that. We, we recognize that the earth is full of his glory. We see his wisdom in his creation. Even in this fallen broken world, we still see God's wisdom and how he orders our universe and all the natural laws that govern our day-to-day -day survival as living creatures. But here in Ephesians, Paul's mention of wisdom particularly is directed towards our redemption, our spiritual survival as God's creatures. That in the wisdom of God, out of his great love for us, out of his warm compassion for sinners, out of his desire to be glorified, but God's plan is to save sinners like you and like me. How did he do that? Well, again, according to his wisdom, what the world would consider foolish and crazy, but in the wisdom of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he sent him into our world as one of us. The wisdom of God was that his son would act as a substitute for us. That rather than the sinner being held accountable 
for his own sin. Instead, it's this sinless son who would be accountable for our sin. That through the son, him bearing the guilt and the punishment for our sin, then those who repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are declared just in the sight of God. And so Paul writes in Romans 3.26 how God himself, he did all of this so that God himself might be just in dealing with our sin and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This way of salvation, God's way of salvation, shows his wisdom to us. It would be a really interesting experiment to, to interview people who have never heard the gospel, to ask them, so how do you think people are saved? And to think of all the different ways people could be saved. And actually, when you look at all the false religions around us, that's what they're thinking. That's how they think someone should be saved. Go here, go there, do this, do that. And maybe, maybe God will be merciful to you. That's typical of the world. We have no confidence of faith. Sorry, we have no confidence of forgiveness, of eternal life in the religions of the world. Only in this book do we find this way of life, this way to salvation, this wisdom of God in Jesus. And again, Paul describes that. Uh, he writes to the church at Corinth and describes this wisdom of God and how the world views it. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. I'm reading from the New Living just for the sake of time so I don't have to explain it. It says, so where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Friends, this is the wisdom of God, his eternal his unfolding plan, which is now realized in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, and now being fulfilled through the preaching of the gospel. And people responding to it as, they, as God brings them together, whatever their background might be, whether as a Jew or a Gentile, but bringing them together into this one family, the church. So the world would mock such religion. They say it as something nonsense. But again, this is just an effect of their sin. Sin has separated mankind from one another. 
Sin has separated mankind from God. But now in Jesus Christ, God is uniting all things again, both in heaven and on earth. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. This saving, reconciling, uniting wisdom of God. As Paul describes it in 1 Peter 1 verse 12, it's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. They are watching us. They're watching the, the wisdom of their creator worked out in us and they are praising him in heaven for all that they see. And so as I think of that, I wonder, can I ask, could we make it our aim here at Welbeck Road to give these angels who are watching us every reason to praise their creator all the more? as they see us respond to this foolish preaching, as they see sinners come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and respond to this invitation to believe. Why not believe and let the angels praise God in heaven? At the very least, why not? But being united to God at last, being brought back to our Creator again at last through faith in Jesus Christ and being united to each other. All our different colors and all our different languages and all our different backgrounds, all our different stories we could share all afternoon together. But God brings us all together to this one person, Jesus Christ. The angels watch that and they rejoice over it. And as we stay together too, as we make Jesus the glue that binds us together, we, we don't focus on everything that could divide us like the world would focus on. But we focus on our Savior and he holds us together. The angels see that and they rejoice in heaven. They learn more about their Creator. But look again at Ephesians 3, verse 10, as we close, at how Paul describes this wisdom, this manifold wisdom of God. The Greek word behind manifold, it, it means much varied or marked with great variety. It's, it's, a, it's a word that's connected with color. Uh, I don't know if you can remember switching from a black and white TV to a color TV. I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't around then. But uh, you know the great joke was you know the snooker commentator, <laughs> you know, commentator on the black and white TV. You know, it's behind the green one, and everyone's going, "Where's the green ball?" They just cannot see it. It's all black and white or shades of grey. Not with the Church of Jesus Christ. It's not black and white. It's a coloured community of God's people. It's a word connected with many colors like, like in a painting or a, or a piece of clothing. Think of Joseph. Think of Joseph's coat of many colors in Genesis 37 verse 2. 
the Greek version, the Septuagint, account of that story of Jacob giving his son a robe of many colors. The Greek word is a form of this word, manifold. And so we have a picture here, don't we, of what God's wisdom looks like, how it's shown in the church, the new international community of God's people, this multiracial, multicultural international tapestry of grace. And each one of us with a, with a wonderful, with a colorful background to us. Maybe some of us have got more colorful background than others, but God brings that into the picture. He brings that into his story, how from, he brought me from where I am, but he brought me all the same to Jesus. And through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, but even I've been included in this new community of God's people. This one new society of grace, the church. I hope you see that as wonderful. Paul here has been actively preaching and teaching this. He has gone around telling people about it, but actually... It's the church itself, it's the life of the church that is showing this beautiful, this colorful, manifold wisdom of God. And again, the spirit world is watching us. In God's wisdom, he's not telling angels and demons directly of his plan. Rather, he's making it known to them through what they see of the church. So God has chosen to reveal his plan to humans through his creation, through the heavens and the earth and all they contain, through the preaching of the gospel, and so on and so forth. You remember when the, uh, Peter had that vision, do you remember? He saw the sheet coming down and all the animals and stuff on it. And Cornelius over there, wherever there was, but an angel appeared to him. The angel did not tell Cornelius the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? Why didn't the angel tell him? Because Peter had to tell him. Peter had to go all those miles and tell Cornelius through his mouth this message of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. And they're there in that room as Cornelius and all his family, as they listen to what Peter is saying, as the Spirit comes down and, and, and they are converted, dramatically converted and baptized, the angel and others are watching and thinking, this is what our Creator is like. Look at what He does. The angels are looking at us and saying, look at what God does. Look at what he does in bringing these people together with all their background, all their history, but still he brings them together. He chose them. He brought them to faith in Jesus Christ and how he is holding them together here in this local church. Isn't that a great privilege? You feel blessed in that. That's why the devil hates us, you see. 
That's why our enemy loathes every local church. And he does all he can to close down every local church. And we know, don't we, that he has succeeded in many areas. He hates it. Because every local church is to the glory of God. It's a light to the surrounding community. And it's a testimony to the wisdom of God, the glory of God. So the devil does all he can to shut us down. Now, this is not a rally call, but are we going to let him do that? Or shall we strive by the grace of God to, to, to keep this community of grace as we ought to be, a community of love, of service to one another, a community of truth, a community of gospel truth. May God help us do that, that we may remain here for another, I think, it, I think we celebrate 45 years next year, I think it is, our constitution, I think it's next year, I'll have to check on that. But, you know, let's press on, brothers and sisters, and keep doing what God has put us here to do, as previous people did here. Let us do our bit here, to the glory of God. Amen. Where we're going to finish our meeting this, uh, this morning uh, singing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is our great anthem, you see, as